Today's scripture reading is from Matthew. We'll be reading from page 683 in your pew Bibles. Reading Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. May God bless the reading of his word. Morning, everyone. <clears throat> Good to see you all this morning. As uh, Joe kind of mentioned earlier, many of our youth and youth workers are at a Memorial Day retreat over at uh, Nichols College, so you can be praying for them. Um, I talked to Pastor Stephen downstairs who came back uh, to help with the children's ministry this morning. So he said everything's going well. Um, I'll be there until tomorrow afternoon. So you can uh, just pray for God to do great work in them uh, during their time there. And also, as uh, um, Jason just mentioned, too, pray for um, Brian, who uh, left late last week to begin his work in Asia. So uh, I'm sure he's getting transitioned in and probably will start work. Uh, on Monday. Uh, but for us, uh, we started a, a new series on the Sermon on the Mount uh, last week. Uh, Dr. Arthurs gave a brief intro on the, uh, on the series, and uh, you know, since this is the first time I'm speaking uh, on the series, uh, let me also share some thoughts about it. Um, I think, as most of you know, uh, the Sermon on the Mount uh, is contained in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and it's the longest recorded uh, teaching of Jesus that we have. Biblical teachers, scholars, and others have said the teaching in the Sermon on the Mount contains the clearest, excuse me, clearest lessons on how to live as members of God's kingdom, thus the series title, Living the Kingdom Lifestyle. St. Augustine described it as a perfect example of the Christian life. And if you're familiar I remember the great English preacher, poet, John Donne. He had this to say about the sermon. Um, he said, you can read it, um, I'm not sure if you can. He said, as nature hath given us certain elements, and all our bodies are composed of them, and art hath given us certain alphabet of letters, and all words are composed of them, so our blessed Savior in these three chapters of this gospel has given us a sermon of text of which all our sermons may be composed, all the articles of our religion, all the canons of our church, all the injunctions of our princes, all the homilies of the fathers, all the body of divinity is in these three chapters in this one sermon on the Mount. And then if you're familiar with the German martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he based his classic book, The Cost of Discipleship, on the Sermon on the Mount. And even outside Christian circles, you may be familiar that Gandhi's political approach 
was deeply influenced by Jesus' teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. So in hearing all this, I hope it gets you a little more excited about the series and what we're going to be learning through it as we go through uh, the different sections of, the, of Matthew 5-7. through um, Because we're going to have a few different speakers shared during the series, we're not going to go through the Sermon on the Mount in the order written. As you, if you were here last week, you saw Dr. Arthur's. He started at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. And then uh, for myself, you see I'm starting in the middle of chapter 5. But uh, throughout the series, we'll make sure to cover all the teachings that Jesus gave within, this, um, within these three chapters. And so to get you thinking on our topic for this morning, let me ask you, what is the thing you most look forward to when you come to church? Is it being able to worship God in a corporate setting with others, singing praises to him? Is it being able to uh, interact with God through the Bible, through prayer, being able to learn, uh, so learn more about God through scripture, through, through the messages? Is it being able to see your friends and catch up with them? And even how about during a normal week? What is it that you, most look, that you look most forward to? Is it spending time with your family, going to your small group, seeing your friends there? Maybe some of you go and play Frisbee every Tuesday or Sundays, and that's what you really look forward to. Getting together with friends to eat, hang out. You know, if some of what I said rings true, I think Jesus in this short four-verse passage tells us that there's much, much more than this. As you heard from our scripture reading, um, Jesus tells his hearers that there are two things, salt and light. So let me speak briefly to elaborate on what each symbol means. So when you think of salt, probably for us, the first thing that comes to mind is a flavoring agent. Molly and I were at a restaurant the other day, and um, we had a plate of french fries. And once we were there, we, once we bit into one, we could tell that this restaurant did not serve their, or serve their fries unsalted because we tasted it, and, and it didn't taste that great. But once we took salt and sprinkled it on, man, the fries tasted great. Um, our son, he's, he's starting to like salt. Before, he wasn't really into seasonings that much, but now he whips out the salt shaker and starts putting salt on everything. Um, so that's probably our first instinct, is to think of salt as a flavoring agent. But that's not what probably the audience back then understood when Jesus said that they were the salt. Um, do you know what this is a picture? Maybe it's hard to see. Um, do you know what this is? Someone said it. I heard it. It's not just fried rice, right? It's salt fish, salted fish and chicken fried rice. It's very, very nice home-style Cantonese fish for us. Um, this, so, um, this, I chose this because this looked better than just a picture of salted fish. <laughs> and I know in seeing this, now some of you are thinking, gee, there's no church lunch today. What are we eating for church lunch? But anyway, um, the point of this is that salt was mainly used back then as a preservative. There were no refrigerators. I mean, people couldn't even dream of, you know, having what we have today. So the main function of salt was to be a preservative. Salt was rubbed into things like fish, like meat, to prevent decay and rot. And so with this understanding, 
we can see a little more what Jesus was trying to say. The world seems to be moving further and further away from God. Most teachings Jesus have, have delivered have been discarded in favor of subjective truth. You know, wars are being fought all over the world due to corruption, greed, and inheritance, the false religion. Jason mentioned in his prayer today about the Manchester terrorist attack and, and the, 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 peop- the two guys in Oregon who died trying to stand up for the Muslims there. And so when Jesus says his followers are salt of the earth, he knows that this world is decaying. And for believers, salt means that they act as a preservative. Their presence helps retard decay and rot. Their example of godly behavior, their work in bringing about redemption, slows down this decaying process that the world is experiencing. As believers are scattered throughout the world, they will live in the midst of corruption to slow down this process of moral destruction. So that's salt. And what's the function of light? Well, there's basically only one function of light, and that's to light things up, to illuminate, right? To expose darkness. Just as the world is in decay, so Jesus knows the world is full of darkness. Then of John 3, verse 19 states, But people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. So as followers of Christ, we are to help expose the darkness, the sin that is in the world, to call out evil, to bring light to injustice and immorality. And hearing Jesus say, you are the light of the world, some of you may also recall that Jesus himself says in John that I am the light of the world. So you may wonder, how can he be light, but we also are light? And it's not that Jesus has ceased to be light so that we are now light. He still is light. But he gives us his light. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. In other words, God flooded our hearts with his light, his truth, which is the gospel. And he's given us this knowledge so we can be bearers of this light to enlighten others. Jesus is still light, but he passed some of his light to us so we can reflect it to others. So Jesus, in a sense, is like the sun shining the light and we are like the moons who just reflect God's light. We reflect the truth of the gospel. We reflect the truth of Jesus to others. And if you think about it, the images of salt and light kind of complement each other. The influence of salt may be more hidden as it just is kind of rubbed into the meat and just kind of disappears. But the light influence, it can't be hidden. It has to be visible. You can't hide light. It's, once it's lit, it's, it's, people see it. So hopefully this gives a better, helps you with a better understanding of, of what Jesus meant by the salt and light images. <coughs> Excuse me, if people asked you, like, what does Jesus mean when he says you are the salt and light, you would be able to explain it clearly to them. Um, but it's also important to note that 
there are a couple of very important implications that go along with this passage. First, when Jesus says to his followers that you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, these statements are emphatic. Emphatic. Note that Jesus didn't say, become salt or become light. Or he doesn't say, use salt or use light. He says, no, you are the salt. You are the light. It's an inherent characteristic of a believer. So it's not a matter of whether you are salt or light. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are one. It's more an issue of whether it's salt, you are salty, and whether it's light, how bright you shine. In the second part of verse 13, it says, But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled underfoot. I'm not a scientist. I've never taken a science class in college, uh, but I know many of you have, and, and you can probably uh, confirm this or not. I've been told that salt really can't lose its saltiness because it's a very stable compound. So salt doesn't really become unsalty. But what does happen is that when impurities get mixed into the salt, this mixture with the salt in it would become worthless as a preservative. You could rub it into the meat and the perishable would still rot. Salt wouldn't work anymore. So in the same way, I think Jesus is saying if a believer gets so influenced, so mixed in with the impurities of the world, he or she would become indistinguishable from the world and therefore be worthless as a preservative. The person there's no use for the person. As Jesus said, it's, I mean, you would just throw it out because it couldn't be used for anything. So we have to strive to keep ourselves pure, to keep ourselves from being corrupted, to not let the impurities mix in with us so that we can remain salty. So as a believer, you, know, you are salt, you are light, but are you salty? And do you shine? Related to this point, there's also the emphasis placed on this statement indicates the role we play in fulfilling God's purposes. If you've been attending this church for a while, you may recall the big story of the Bible that Pastor Chuck, Chuck, before he left, spent like probably a year and a half going through. And remember the three promises that God originally spoke to Abraham and that the third one still has to yet be completed. And that God's people would be a blessing to the nations, right? Jesus came to earth to complete his role in, in coming to earth, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, rising again, so that man could receive salvation. And now that Jesus is no longer on earth, we are his agents to carry forth this message of redemption, the message of salvation. So when Jesus says, you are the salt, you are the light, he's saying, you are my followers who will carry this message, you and no one else. If his followers don't slow down decay, if his followers don't carry forth the light, there will be no retardation. There will be no light that shines. The work won't get accomplished. This was his plan all along. He doesn't have a plan B. 
So we must recognize the weight contained in this statement that when we are salt, when we are light, we're bringing forth God's plan of redemption to the world and there's no plan B. It's us. The second implication, which was some, somewhat just alluded to, is that the word you, when Jesus uses the word you, it's spoken in a corporate sense. We read you and we usually think of us individually. Like, you are the salt, you are the light. And we're like, okay, I am the salt, I am the light. But in the original language, the you is plural. Jesus is referring to the collective body of believers. I mean, it'd be silly if you think about it, if a person asked to pass the salt, and when you pass the salt shaker to him, he unscrews the cap, and he takes the tweezer out and, and pulls out one grain of salt, and he puts it on his meat. And you look and like, why did you do that? That will have no effect at all. So no, Jesus is telling his followers collectively, you know, you are salt, you are light. We are salt, we are light. We must as a body be working to act as a community of redemption. You know, do we recognize that? As many of us come here every Sunday, do you look around and sense that we are working together as a community to be this catalyst of change that Jesus asks of us. It's not enough to come here on Sundays, catch up with your friends, and just see them as people whom you like to have fellowship with. It's not enough just to meet with your small group during the week and learn a little more about the scripture and have fellowship and be content because you have this support group for yourself. We have to be challenging one another to work together and go out to be agents redemption. And I know it's not an easy thing to do. Jesus tells us it's not going to be an easy thing to do. In a couple of verses right before our passage, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who for in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I don't want to get too deep into these verses. But thing, one thing I do want to point out from them is by telling his disciples this, he's saying to them that they should expect persecution. If you go out to be salt and light, they won't like you. They're going to be against you. Even for us, we experienced this in a, in a small way. In, in ICF, we, we had a couple outreach events uh, little more than a year ago. Uh, we had this event on, on a couple of campuses at two different occasions where students could um, text us questions and we would go in person to answer them and, and deliver food. And on both of these campuses, those of you who, who were there, you, you'll recall, um, uh, we got a, each time we got a, a question or two on the issue of homosexuality. And though nothing... I'm sure it was said in a harsh or hateful way. Both times, the people apparently didn't like the answer that was given because they soon began telling other students, you know, this group is homophobic. You know, stay away from this group. And word began spreading throughout the campus. Oh, you know, don't, don't talk to these guys. You know, they're homophobic. Stay away from them. And, you know, we could have prevented this from happening if we never attempted anything like this. And we just kept to ourselves. 
But then we'd be like that light hidden under a bowl that Jesus refers to in our passage. And what good is that? So many of us strive to gain acceptance and affirmation from this world. But in light of this passage, maybe that shouldn't be too much of a priority. Jesus would rather instruct us to focus on being salt and light. Not that we do things to be obnoxious or unloving, but we don't shy away from situations that may lead to some persecution. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, Bonhoeffer writes, a community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. So expect persecution. As Jesus says, in the same way the prophets were persecuted before you, you should expect persecution. And I know here in America, I mean, we don't experience that greatly. Obviously, in other countries, they experience it even more. And we didn't mention yet, but we also pray for those, the church, those Catholic Christians that were killed by a terrorist attack this past week. That's the price sometimes that Jesus requires of being his followers. And he says, don't shy away from it. In the same way they persecuted the prophets, they're going to persecute you. So how do we work as a team to be salt and light? Some suggestions I can give is when we meet with each other, we ask questions to make sure that outreach remains on the forefront of our minds. We pray with one another for our unsaved friends, families, family, co-workers, classmates. We partner with each other to build intentional relationships with those we are trying to reach. We mobilize our small groups and fellowships to hold events related to an outreach or service outside of our church. We discuss within our small group maybe a current issue or social concern that we have a burden for and plans way to help and plan ways to help meet that need. We recognize this corporate calling that Jesus has given us. We seek to live it out. Not just to be an inward, inclusive community, but to be an outward community. Why did Jesus teach this? What was his intent? His, his intent is simply stated at the end of verse 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we do this so that unbelievers are drawn to glorify God. As we go out preventing decay, as we go out exposing darkness, people will take notice. Though it is often difficult, though there will be times that we face or will face persecution, this verse gives us hope that our efforts are not in vain, but God will use our efforts to draw some people to himself, that they will recognize the truth of the gospel and glorify him. So do this to bring glory to God. Because in the end, isn't that our ultimate purpose? Is to glorify God with our lives. As I wrap up, just let me share a story I ran across. In my reading, Dan MacArthur shared a magazine article that he saw. The article was actually a series of pictures that depicted a very, very um, sad story. The first picture was of a wheat field in Kansas. It was a farm in western Kansas, and from horizon to horizon in, in the picture, all you could see was wheat waving in the wind. 
The second picture was of a mother in distress inside her farmhouse in the middle of that wheat field. She had a small boy who had somehow wandered away from the house and into that wheat field. The little fellow was so small that he couldn't be seen and also he couldn't see. He couldn't see through the tall blades of wheat. She couldn't find him. She had called for her husband and the two of them had searched all day long for the little boy and they finally decided they should call their neighbors who began to search frantically all over the wheat field with no success. They knew the boy was too little to see above the wheat and find his own way out. So the picture showed her in great distress. And then there was a third photo that depicted all these people who had heard of this little boy being lost. They gathered in the next morning, joining their hands together, hand in hand. There was this great long line of humanity, linked only by their hands, swept from one end of the wheat field to the other, and spread out throughout the wheat field. And then there was a fourth picture, which was the heartbreaker. It was a picture of the father standing over the body of his little son. They found him, but it was too late. He died. A cold, cold night had claimed its victim. And under the final picture of the weeping father were these words, was this magazine caption, Oh God, if we had just joined our hands sooner. And I know it's a really depressing story. Um, it's not a good one to end on. But I share this because Jesus also looked out one day over the fields. He looked out over the fields and he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray that the God of the harvest will send out workers into the field. And in praying, he didn't say this, but I'll add to this, recognize that he also is calling you to be his laborers, to be in the field. So may we join hands to seek out those in the fields who are lost. As another commentator put it, let's not be isolated Christian enclaves to which the world pays no attention. Let's not be content hanging out in holy huddles with church friends because it's so enjoyable and it's very comfortable. Let's be salt and light that Jesus tells us that we are. Salt that is salty, light that shines, salt that salt and light that work together to be a community of redemption. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth in your scripture. Lord, and we know the lessons that we find in them were not often easy, uh, but Lord, that's not your point to necessarily make it easy for us, but you seek to challenge us, to change us, to become what you want us to be, and to use us to be your agents of redemption, to fulfill the third promise in the big story of the Bible that is still waiting to be totally completed. That we would be people who would be a blessing to the nations. That we would join hand in hand 
seek out and try to save those who are lost. Lord, please use us and forgive us for times that we have been too inward focused, too concerned about 